will be different. This year will be different. This year will be different. This year, I need to eat less. You know what? I do solemnly swear that this year I will lose 10 pounds. Or at least five. Five is the magic number. That's how many times I want to visit my grandmother this year, which would be five more than last year. Learn to wait. I always want things instantly. I need patience. Now, this year, I'll be nicer to my parents. What, Mom? Hmm. Get off my back. I just need peace in my life. I'm just so nervous all the time. I just, I'm twitching. Three kids. I'm a twitcher. I'm twitching. I twitch. I just can't seem to get my pits to stop sweating. Can you, can you see this? Look, when did I become the human leak? I mean, I know I've got some stress about my future and everything, but why can't I just be like everyone else and you conceal it? Okay, I'll just have to fake it till I make it. And I'll be better than I've ever been in my entire life. If I'm gonna make this year count, I have to do some things differently. To pay time. Make some goals this year. Just three, not ten. Stop judging people who aren't like me. Stop snapping at my kids. Dream! Character over image. Learn that I'm loved, but not entitled. God, did you forget about me? I'm here. Just show me what to do. Give me the strength to change. What am I saying? I, I don't even know if I want to change, God. I'm comfortable. I have a good life. I know. You want the best for me. So why don't I want the best for me? Starting tomorrow, using my gifts and talents, I'm going to live my life differently. God's way. I'm tired of keeping this great gift. A secret. Can I tell you a secret? I feel like I'm separated from something. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But whatever I need, it's bigger than this world can offer. I offer my life, God. It's something much more than what I can see. So please, God, would you just take this little bit of faith that I have? I just can't wait another year. You know that last song we sang, did any of you catch where that is, what that is based upon? Walking around these walls, I thought they'd never fall. It's Joshua chapter 6. And when we think of Joshua chapter 6, what's the event that is being depicted there? Of course, it's, it's uh, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, ba -dooby, down ba -dooby, right? It's all about that. And we think, man, wouldn't it have been wonderful? Wouldn't it have been great to be there and see the walls come tumbling down and see God working in such a dramatic way? I got news for you. Go and read Joshua 6. And like we sang in the songs, you would probably be saying, walking around these walls, I thought they'd never fall because it took six days of walking around and around and around. I mean, what if I were to tell you, hey, guess what we're going to do for the next week? We're going to walk around and around. And I can imagine the people inside of Jericho are like, what's going on down there? You know, when are you going to do anything? Isn't anything going to happen? 
And then on the seventh day, you know, they get out their horns and, you know, actually it's their, their shofars. So it's like, they're not real beautiful. They guess they make an impression when there's a, uh, quite a few of them. But yet God did do a dramatic work, but it took some time. And is that not the case, I'm sure, for some of us here this morning, and I am in your number. There are things that I'm like, come on, Lord, how long? When, when are we going to move on with this? When is this going to happen? When are we going to reap the promise that you have given to me? Well, he's faithful in his time, and his time is best. Let's get into his word this morning. Father, we thank you for your care, your love for us. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And Lord, we pray now for those times when we wonder if you care, if you're ever going to work. Father, remind us this morning from your word that that is exactly what you are doing right now. No matter what we are going through, Lord, you are in fact working in our lives. Help us to get a glimpse of that, if not for ourselves, then to be an encouragement to the people in our worlds as we begin this brand new year, as we end this old year really today and tomorrow begin a new year with you. Father, may we not just be walking around these walls. May we be doing so, Father, knowing that you are working even in this, this being whatever it is we're going through right now. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, for you are my rock and my redeemer. And we give this time to you now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I read about a guy a farmer who was looking for a farmhand. And as he was interviewing this kid to uh, work on his farm, one of the things the kid said was, was kind of an interesting statement he made. He said, uh, one of my best qualities is that I can sleep when the wind blows. And the farmer thought, well, that's kind of an interesting way to put it. I'm not exactly sure what he means by that. But he liked the kid, so he went ahead and hired him. And a few days later, it turned out that a storm blew in. And the farmer and his wife were a little bit concerned about what might be happening out there on the farm. And so they, they went out and they checked and they found out that the tools had been put away and that the barn was secure and, and that the animals looked like they were calm and in good shape and the tractor was up. And sure enough, their farmhand kid that they had hired a couple of weeks before uh, was in fact asleep. And at that point, they recognized, they realized what he meant when he said, I can sleep when the wind blows. What it means is, and it's a meaning for all of us, is that if we take care of those things that need to be taken care of, not, you know, we, we always tend to think that, that preparation and, and things like that are big, uh, gigantic enterprises. We've got we've to make uh, New Year's resolutions. We've got to totally change my life uh, to, to accomplish some dramatic thing for God. When in reality, it's often just a matter of do the things that you need to do, the normal, regular, everyday things. And when the wind blows, you will be able to sleep. You will be able to withstand it. And like the guy in our story, I can say that in a sense uh, th that I'm pretty secure when the wind blows. Of course, you know, uh, in, we live in California, and in California, uh, we either have drought <laughs> or we have storm watch, right? 
And, and supposedly we are in an El Nino year. Had a little bit of rain yesterday, but uh, and this, by the way, that picture is that is Moreno Valley right there uh, from uh, the hurricane that we had a few months ago. Yeah, first time ever a hurricane of all things here on the West Coast. And, and but for those of us that are lifelong Californians, there's nothing new in that. I mean, that's what California is. It's either it's either years and years of of drought or it's. It's storms to where the houses in Malibu are falling off into the ocean. That's, that's the way we are. We're, we're a schizophrenic place. <laughs> and I feel pretty secure in the storms right now because I've got a good roof on my house. I've got a, a, a good roof on my, my uh, recreational vehicle. I, I went out yesterday and checked, and there's no leaks in there. I, I do drive a little uh, a convertible roadster, and uh, so it's not quite so much, but hey, if you're going to drive one of those kind of cars, you're going to expect that you're going to get wet when it rains. It's all part of the experience of driving a car like that. But there is a deeper truth in this, isn't there? It's not the storms in California that is really the issue for us. It is, in fact, the storms in our life. And the question is, how do we react to those storms? Do we react to the storms, to the struggles, to the trials in our life as Jesus would react? Or maybe we're a little more like Jesus' disciples. A lot of you know the, the account in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus and his disciples are on the Sea of Galilee and this violent storm uh, blows in. And it had to be a pretty dangerous storm because a bunch of these guys were professional fishermen and uh, so when they say, you know, this is a life-threatening situation, you can pretty much count that it was a life-threatening situation. And yet, where was Jesus? Jesus was up in the bow of the boat, asleep of all things. And the disciples are freaking out. Can you relate? <laughs> How many times have I freaked out over something? And they, and they went to Jesus and they, they, they said to him, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? It's interesting how they go right to his motives, you know? I mean, they, they could have just described that, you know, this is a scary situation, Lord, but no. It's like, do, do you not care that, that we're perishing here? And Jesus gets up and he calms the wind and the waves. It's like, kind of like, shoot, stop it now. Simmer down. And, and it did. Came, became like glass. And then he says very calmly to them, I'm sure, why did you have so little faith? I mean, after all, I'm in the boat, <laughs> And that means this boat ain't going to go down. We're going to make it. In fact, when we got on the, the sea, I told you we were going over to the other side. That means no matter what happens between here and there, the ending point is the other side. I didn't say we're going out into the ocean in order to drown. I said we're going to the other side. Oh, you of little faith. <laughs> A few years ago, actually it was uh, during the pandemic year, uh, I, I saw a letter you know, people write at the end of the year, they, they write these letters. I, I always have plans to do that. And one of these days, I might actually do it, where we talk about everything that happened. But I loved one paragraph. I, I read those. If you send them to me, I read it. And, and one paragraph I really liked, they said this, God has been good to us this year. This is the pandemic year, okay? So it was a tough year. God has been good to us this year. It may be difficult to see that when we look back, but if our perspective is filtered through what he has done instead of what we couldn't do, well, that changes the view on everything. And that's 
Guys, a lot of the reason that we come here on Sunday mornings, when we prepare ourselves, when we hear from the Lord, when we get into his word, because we, we want to less and less look at things through how we feel, walking around these walls, if you will, and more and more on his perspective. Those walls are coming down. You're getting to the other side of the, of the sea, even if there is a storm in the midst of it. Well, we've been looking for the last few weeks at the first coming of Christ. We've lit our, our candles. I'm not going to do much with the candles today, except I thought we should at least have one week where they're all lit up. And so here it is. This will be leaving after uh, this week. And, and we know from the prophecy candle, and we've talked about it almost every week, that for hundreds of years, even thousands of years, they had been waiting for the Messiah to come. And, and they would often pray and make that statement, how long, O oh Lord, how long are we going to have to endure this? How long are we going to have to be in this situation? And then Jesus was born. But there's more. He lived a sinless life. He was tried, convicted, executed on a cross, and then he rose again. And as we've been talking about this month, that is the gift of God. Wonderful that he's a little babe and, and all of the stuff that goes along with that. But the true gift of God is his death on the cross on our behalf. And then after that, we know from what the Bible tells us that for 40 days, he walked on this earth. He gave, as, as uh, uh, Luke says in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he says he gave many convincing proofs. Okay, they're seeing the risen Christ. And then he left again. He ascended back into heaven, and now we wait, right? And now we ask the question and have been asking the question, how long, oh Lord, are we going to have to wait? Well, let's talk about that this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to pick up at verse 6 today. As we talk about, we've been, we spent a month on the first coming of Christ. Now we're going to take a look and, and do a little bit of anticipation of the second coming. Because in a sense, we are, as we sang, walking around these walls. And I know at times life can just feel like that. Like I'm going around and around and around. But guess what? Eventually the walls are going to come down. Now the question has been asked from day one. In fact, even before Jesus ascended into heaven, the question was put to him as we see here in Acts 1. And, and the Bible is so relevant to us today. The question, by the way, being how long, oh Lord, how long are we going to have to wait? How long is it going to be? You said that you're going to come. And obviously, as you read certain accounts in the New Testament, they often believed that they had actually missed the coming of Christ. They believed that it was soon, uh, that it was going to happen really quick. But it seems like it's taking forever. It's been a couple thousand years now. And so the Bible, being as relevant it is, as it is to us today, that, so that the question that they put to Jesus is the question that we are still asking today. And that's our first point. What is it that we want and we quote unquote need to know? So look at verse 6. It says, so when they had come together, this is Jesus and his disciples, they began asking him, the disciples began asking Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, it is not for you to know periods of time or appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority. We love to set dates, though, don't we? 
people have been doing it almost since the day Jesus left. Uh, there's, there's one whole group of people that decided, for instance, uh, oh, there was a, a 19th century date that they set. They set uh, October 1st, 1914. When Jesus didn't show up, it became, oh, he did actually come, but it was a spiritual uh, coming. Well, that's not the way it's going to happen. He's gonna be, it's going to be very obvious. There's going to be uh, very physical things happening, so we won't miss it. Nevertheless, people love to set those dates. They love to try to figure it out. And what does Jesus say here? It is not for you to know how long. Now, that doesn't stop us from asking, but often, because why? I want to know things. I want to understand things. And sometimes it's because, you know, I, I, I want to decide what I'm going to do about it. Sometimes I want to know certain things about why Jesus asks me to do something. I'll be honest. It's because I want to determine whether or not I actually want to do that. And that's not what God wants to do. You know, we make jokes about how, uh, I used to anyway, until I had my own kids, about how I would ask my dad, why? Why do I got to do that? And what's the number one dad answer? <laughs> because I told you so. And I hated that. And then guess what happened when I became a dad? <laughs> and I got the inevitable question. Because I told you so. And I have since learned that that is a really good answer. Because we need to understand that sometimes you just do something because. Because if I give you an answer, it's basically because I'm deciding whether or not I'm going to do what you're telling me to do. I don't, I'm not giving you that option. And God is generally not giving us that option. And so maybe you're in a situation right now and you're just saying, I am done with this. I am done with how things are happening in my life. I am done with, with the society that we're having to live in. With the, it seems like the crumbling of morals and the, the, the awful government situation. Lord, I've, I've prayed over this. I have done it. And yet it's still here. Things don't seem to be getting any better. Again, I'm walking around these walls, around and around, and nothing seems to be changing. I want you to know that I like to know when things are going to be over. When I go on trips, for instance, I, I don't just get in my car and drive off down the road. Even if I've been told directions, what do I do? Nowadays, I pull out my phone and, and pull up a GPS because I want to see where I'm going. I want a map. I want to I know what to expect. That's fine, but apparently Jesus here says it is not for us to know. So what do we do? Do we give up? Do we just forget about it? Is that even an option? Let's see. As Jesus continues teaching them and us, he tells us now, while that is not for us to know, there is something that we are to know. Look at verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. He says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. John calls him in a number of places the comforter. So isn't he then supposed to comfort us? Yes. But he also empowers us. In Ephesians 5.18, when it says that the, the Holy Spirit comes, he, it, he, it says that, he is a, uh, uh, that we are to be filled, meaning that we are to be controlled, we are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's what he has called us, that's what he has come to do. Yes, he comforts us, but there's also a, a very intentional purpose for the Holy, for the Holy Spirit. 
Now, this is one example we see here in Acts 1.8 of the great commission being given to us. And when we think of the Holy Spirit's power, I don't know about you, but I tend to often hear more about the Holy Spirit's power for healing or the Holy Spirit's power for miracles or in certain circles, the Holy Spirit's power for prosperity in your life. And yet Jesus here is telling us that the purpose of the Holy Spirit's power is so that we will be witnesses. Where? In our worlds, as we often say around here. He says in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. Now, what is that? Well, these are actually concentric circles. He's working his way out. He's saying in Jerusalem, that means our, your own local area, the people around you, the very direct your world people. And then he says, uh, Judea, that's a, a farther area. For us, it might be like the state of California or, or even the United States, depending on how big you want to make uh, some of these concentric circles. Samaria means going to people that you would not normally associate with, people that turn you off, people that make you uncomfortable, people that you frankly don't want to be around. Nevertheless, they're in your world. They are there and then finally, to the remotest part of the earth, to the, to the ends of the earth. Now, this seems like pretty clear instruction, right? So what did the disciples do? Well, let's see. And once again, I think it's important for us to relate to the disciples at, point, at this point. Because he told them what they are to do, but now we see what we often do instead of what he tells us to do. Look at verse 9. And after he had said these things, Jesus was lifted up while they were watching, and a cloud took him up and out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, he was going, while he was going, then behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, if you look back uh, earlier in verse 4, you'll see that Jesus had told them what he wanted them to do. He gave them something that they were to know. Instead, they're wanting to know things that he says it's not for you to know. And one of those things was he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so what are they doing? Are they on their way to Jerusalem? No, they are gazing intently into the sky. The word that Luke uses here is the Greek word adenedzo, and it means to stare. It means to fix your eyes on something. But even more than that, it actually it, it denotes that you are fixing not just your eyes, but you're fixing your mind on it. You are completely focused on this thing that you are staring at. And when you think about it, isn't that a good thing? I mean, what are they fixing their mind on? Jesus, they're standing, I mean, this, this ought to be a, a sermon on, on how to, to uh, keep your eye on Jesus and watch him. In fact, is that not exactly what the writer of Hebrews says that we are to do? In Hebrews 12, what does he say? Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look at this, looking only at Jesus 
the originator and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, looking only at Jesus. As the writer of Hebrews says, offer atto is the word that is used there. It means to turn away from all other things and fix your stare. Look intently at something. But guys, don't miss this. The writer of Hebrews, yes, he is, he is correctly telling us what Jesus wants us to do, which is to look at him. But notice how he is telling us to do it. We are to do it while we are running our race, while we are doing what we have been told to do. You're not just watching Jesus the way a lot of us watch TV, right? TV thinks for you. and other. You're not just vegging out there with Jesus happen, happening to be in your, your field of vision. No, you are doing what you have been told to do. So that prompts the question then, what, we need, what do we need to know and to do? We saw the Great Commission as it's presented in Acts 1.8 it told us to witness, and to witness in these ever-increasing circles of influence, to go, whether it's across the street or whether it's around the world. Well, Matthew puts the same commission in a different form. Matthew 28 says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Now, interesting thing here is that when Jesus says go, we often think of that in terms of get ready, get set, and go, right? I'm, I'm going to do what I need to do, and when I get all ready and get all set, then, then I'm going to get up and I'm going to go and obey what Jesus has told me to do. But that's not the sense of this word. That go, that little word there, is an action word. In fact, I often encourage people to write in the margin of your Bible this sense, as you are going. That's, that, that's what that word actually means. It, it's not get ready, get set, go. It's as you are already traveling, as you are going. And where are we to go? Well, we saw that in Acts 1.8. Ultimately, to all the nations. As I'm going throughout my day, I am to go to the ends of the earth. But wait a minute. I don't know about you, but I don't go to the ends of the earth. I don't go to all the nations. And that's why individually we fulfill that command by going to our worlds. We have these cards, and I hope you have one. And, and, I, and I hope you, if you don't know what this is or you don't have one, they're available for you in between our doors as you're leaving this morning. But this is the means that we take to carry out the great commission that, that Christ has given to us to go into all the world. We take that card and we pray and we ask God, okay, uh, we're, we are collectively as the church to go to the ends of the earth. What's my part in this, Lord? Who are the people in my world? Who are the people that you have put in my sphere of influence that I can reach out to? And we begin to list those people. There's spots on here to list. And we begin to pray for opportunities to reach out to these people. I hope you're doing that. 
I hope, and, and pray for me to be a part of that as well and to continue to be consistent with that. And then get ready because as you are praying those prayers, God is going to bring those people. It was, it was so, so encouraging this past month to see how many of you brought people from your worlds into uh, the various activities we had during the Christmas season. I was meeting people who said, this is my neighbor, this is my friend, this is my coworker, this is my family member. And that's so encouraging because what's God doing? He's answering your prayers for an opportunity to reach out and to invite them somewhere and to share with them and to develop that relationship where you can begin to talk about spiritual things. Jesus healed a demon-possessed man. You know the account. He was living among the tombs. He was breaking his chains. I guess they chained him down at times. He was scaring people. He was naked. And afterwards... What do we see in the account? The man wanted to join Jesus. He wanted to travel with him. He was so excited about what Jesus had done in his life. And, and you think about it, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, that's, isn't that exactly what Jesus would want? He, he wants to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. So much so that, that I'm going to give up everything. Not that he had much. I mean, he's living among the tombs. But he said, I'm going I'm to leave all of that behind. I'm not going to pursue anything else except being with you, Jesus. But guess what? Jesus had other ideas for him. In Mark 5, 18, we read they were getting into the boat. And the man who had been demon-possessed was begging Jesus that he might accompany him. But Jesus didn't let him. And he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And Jesus says the same thing to that guy as he says to each of us. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And your part of that is not in the boat with me. It's not to isolate yourself away from the very people that I have put you among. You have relationships with those people. You have family. You have coworkers. You have neighbors that I'm never going to be able to relate to. And I have people in my life that you're never going to be able to relate to. And that is how Jesus is fulfilling this. That's the part that he's giving to us as we call it around here, the people in your world, the people in my world. Well, let's be honest. Most Christians today are spending their time probably more likely doing what the disciples were doing. They are gazing intently into the sky after Jesus. And let's be honest, they feel pretty good about themselves. Yes, they're gazing at him. They're, they're in the word. They're praying. Uh, they're worshiping. They're going to church. They're giving money. They're, they're doing all the, all the things that, that, that we hear that need to be done. They're focusing on Jesus. They're loving him. They're worshiping him. Oh, come, let us adore him. <laughs> but guys, like those two men dressed in white who confronted his disciples, I say to you this day, and I, I say it to myself as well, why are you looking up into the sky? When in fact, we are supposed to be in Jerusalem, being filled with the Spirit, and we are supposed to be running with perseverance, as the writer of Hebrews says. When we're supposed to be, what are we supposed to be doing? One of my favorite 
parables of Jesus, probably my favorite, without a doubt, is the parable of the talent, where he talks about how I've given each of you a talent, an ability, a passion, a gift, and I expect you to use them. Similar to the parable of the talents is the parable of the ten minas in Luke chapter 9. And it says this, Jesus said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then to return. And he called 10 of his own slaves and he gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this money until I come back. Now, I'm told that a, a mina is about three months wages. So they had a good amount of money. And he says, I want you to, to go and do something with this. Invest in this. Guess what, guys? We have the promised Holy Spirit. And because of that, we have a spiritual gift. And guess what that gift is? That's your 10 minas. That's my minas. And we are to be his witnesses. As the parable says, we are to do his business. That's what parables are. They're not about, he's not telling us a story of, of investing as a, a businessman. He's telling us a story. He's making an application to the kingdom. Parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. So in other words, he's entrusted us as we are going to go and make disciples. That's the business that we have. And how long are we to do it? Until he comes back, as he says there. Paul is a little more direct with Timothy. In, uh, in 1 Timothy 4.12, he says to Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness. This, this by the way, was Timothy's burden. He was young in a society that, uh, you know, kind of looked at him as, you're just a kid. You know, what, what can we really expect from you? What, who do you think you are? You're, you're just a kid. Grow up. <laughs> What's your burden this morning? Maybe you are on the other end of the scale. Maybe you think you're too old to really do anything for the Lord. Maybe you don't think you have the ability to do something for the Lord. Maybe, maybe you don't feel like you have enough education or you have low self-esteem or, or you lack resources. Well, he goes on. But rather... Rather, instead of looking down on the things that you don't have, like that prayer I shared at the beginning, uh, you know, when I focus on what I wasn't able to do and instead focus on what God is able to do through me, it changes everything. That's what Paul is doing here with Timothy. Don't look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example to those who believe. How are you going to do that? Trust me, guys, whatever you're dealing with, there are people out there that are dealing with the very same thing. You think you have self-esteem issues? I guarantee you, you are surrounded by people with self-esteem issues. And what, is, what, is, what are you going to do as an example to those who believe when you stand up and say, yeah, I don't feel very good about myself, but I feel real good about the Lord and I'm going to accomplish this in spite of who I am. Man, that speaks to the people in your world that struggle with those things. They feel, if they, on the other hand, just see you give up, that becomes the lesson. And who wants to teach that? Until I come, give your attention to the public reading, to exhortation, to teaching. Don't neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was granted to you through the words of prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Guys, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior today, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And you have been gifted by him with, for service. And those talents and those gifts and those passions, again, that is your ten minas. And being a Christian is so much more than just going to church. 
It's so much more than just studying the Bible or worshiping or giving. It's, it's not just looking intently at Jesus. It's not just coming to adore him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us what God has done for us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one has, can, may boast. And that's what God has done for you. We've been looking at it all month. That's the first and greatest Christmas gift of all. And what is needed by you? To accept it, to open it, to make the gift your own. The question is, have you opened it? We see throughout God's word that God loves you and has, a, has a, a great plans for you. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we, we've gotten in the way of that plan, though. Right from the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden, we read that, that, that as Romans 3.23 says, but all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes you. That includes me. But Romans, uh, Romans 6.23 tells us that because of that, the consequence is death. The wages of sin is death. But he continues in that same verse, right where he condemns us to death, he then follows up with, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because Jesus suffered the consequences. He died in our place. He became that sacrifice, and he could do so because he, was, he lived that perfect, sinless life that we've been talking about all month. And because of that, we can live. How? We have to open it up. We have to make it ours. We call it the ABCs. A, admit your need of a Savior. Admit, yes, I am one of the people who is dead right now in my, in my sins. B, believe what Jesus has said. Believe that he is who he says he is, the Holy Son of God. Believe that he came to this earth. He died in our place. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. Believe that. And then C, choose. Make a choice. The Bible says... In, in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And, I'm sorry, that's, that's 1 John 1, 9, but that's true too. He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you say, I don't understand how that's going to happen. <laughs> You're like me. You want the map. You want to figure it all out. You want to work through it. I, I'm going to tell you guys, you're never going to figure it out on this side of salvation. All you can do is accept it. It's like the gift is not going to be open until you give in and open it up. I can sit there all day, and I did, and I can look at this box and wonder, what's in there? What's in there? There's only one way I'm going to find out what's in there. I got to open it up. And that's how you open it up. You say, yes, Lord Jesus, I do need salvation. I need what I hear in your word. I need what you're offering. And I, and I don't I totally understand this, Lord, but I know that you do. Come into my life. Change me. Make me into the person you want me to be. I, I turn my life over to you. As my youth pastor used to say, make him the boss of your life. I'm becoming an employee of yours, Lord 
And once we've done that, once you have opened that gift, as we see here, for by grace you've been saved through faith, now look what happens. Because once we've done that, we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are his greatest creation. That's kind of the, the ramifications of that word workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We're not just in a, in a museum somewhere that, so Jesus can come and look at his masterpiece. No, we're actively working. He created us for that. He has a job for us to do, and it's called the great commandment and the great commission. Love God and love people. And how do we see this working out here at Crosswinds? As we stand on the threshold of a whole new year of opportunities, what kind of things do we do here at Crosswinds? It's good to remind ourselves of that. Our vision here is to help you to grow in your ability to do these works that he's called us to. We want to teach you how to carry out the Great Commission in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we say we want to see people grow in Christ and go to their worlds. As we enter this new year of 2024, we strive to, oppor to offer opportunities for people to be trained and equipped to serve in, in your worlds, among your people. We want to encourage you to discover your spiritual gift. In fact, in just a couple of weeks, January 21st, you, you heard in the announcements, we have a, a spiritual gifts class. And if you have no idea what that even means or, or what yours is, then I encourage you to ask some questions and get into that class. We want to help you to develop ministries that connect people with our mission to grow and go. All, above all, guys, we want you to see yourself as a missionary to your world and even as a missionary to other places like Broken Arrow Bible Ranch, as we said this morning. Guys, we need to expand our vision of what it means to be involved in the church body. It is so much more than coming to church on Sundays or attending a life group or, or, or giving your money. It, it's so much more than that. This is not a place to come into as much as it is a place to go out from. This is the locker room. This is the gym where we, where we prepare ourselves to go and do what we are in fact called to do. We are to be teaching and, and, and worshiping and reaching out. And while in service is important, it's not the sum total of everything because we have to be reaching out to our worlds. And so we have people here at Crosswinds who minister in juvenile hall. We have a street ministry. We have the Gideons and campus Bible clubs. We have all kinds of opportunities for people out there reaching their coworkers and their neighbors and their fellow students and these ministries are all part of ministry in the church. It's not just teaching Sunday school or leading in the youth ministry. It's reaching the people in your worlds. And that's as much a church ministry as anything that's happening here on the facility. And here's the great thing, guys. When those inevitable storms of life hit, we can, like Jesus, sleep in the bow of the boat, knowing that we are right where we need to be. Yeah, it's tough right now. It seems like things are not necessarily working out right. However, God is in charge. He's in control, and we're going to get through this because he promised us we're going to get through this. He told us when we got into the boat that we're going to the other side, and so that's where we're going. And you know that no matter what, God is in control. We've prepared well. We've done what he's told us to do, and so we can sleep when the wind blows. When the storms hit us, we're okay. 
because we've done the preparation and we've, we've gotten ourselves ready even for this. Let me give you a couple of takeaways. I hope you're encouraged by what God has for us. I hope you're excited about this, this whole new year that we have. It's going to be an exciting year. Some interesting things on the horizon. But, uh, but above all, I can tell you, God is going to do amazing things in us, in you, in me, and through us. The first thing I ask myself as I look at this passage is what things do I need to leave in God's hands? What are the things that I have taken on myself when in reality that's God's responsibility? I just, I just need to follow through on what he's told me to do. And yet I, I, I spend so much wasted effort worrying about it. Oh, this, this, this is going to be a struggle. This is going to be hard. How are we going to get through this? No, just do what he said to do. It's simple in, in that sense, and yet it's the most difficult thing there is. Secondly, I look at this and I ask myself, like the disciples uh, had done, what things am I gazing intently at? And the implication there is, what are the things that I am doing that's really taking me away from what I should be doing? What are those things that, while they may even seem uh, spiritual at times, and yet in reality, they're, they're keeping me. I, I had a pastor one time that said, uh, and, and just didn't make sense when he told me, but I've since learned the truth in it. He said, a good principle of uh, time management is to put off until tomorrow what doesn't need to be done today. Now that sounds like procrastination. <laughs> and yet what he meant by that was, is that we spend so much time doing little piddly things and we feel like, well, I'm so busy doing all of these things, when in reality there's some great big thing that we know we need to do, we know we've been told to do it, but we keep ourselves busy with all of these things. That would be an example of gazing intently after Jesus when Jesus said, Go to Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't stand out here looking up into the sky after Jesus. Finally, what's happening in my world as I am going? Am I keeping my eyes open? Am I paying attention to the people in my world? Am I listening to them? Am I, am I, uh, am I thinking about it? Or is my, I, I'll, I'll admit, I mean, and I'm not happy, I'm not proud of this, but for many, many years, my house was just a place to come and go to when I, you know, from the church. I would go from the church to my house and from my house to the church. And it's only been in the last few years that I realized all along the way, there are people that God has called me to. There are neighbors, there are folks in my neighborhood, and yet I didn't see them for many years. And now I can't help but see them because instead of just gazing at him, I am gazing at the mission field that he's called me to. So what's happening in your world? What's going on with the people that God has called you to? Let's think about these things as we consider how God is going to work in us and through us in 2024 and beyond. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today. And Lord, I know that for many of us here today, it may seem, as we sang earlier, that we just are walking around and around these walls. And I thought by now they would have fall, fallen down. I thought by now I would see your dramatic work. And yet, Lord, help me to recognize, help each of us to recognize that your work is happening no matter what I am seeing. In fact, Lord, what I am seeing is, in fact, your work. 
And I have, we all have the glorious privilege of joining you in the work that you are doing here in our world. We thank you for that, Lord. Would you take your word today and, and Lord, apply it to our lives and our hearts so that we might live out what we've heard you say to us today. Not just being hearers of the word, but as James says, effective doers of your word. And we'll give you the praise and glory for all that results. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.